How, what, what have we talked about so far? Feminism. Feminism. That was last week, yes. Postmodernism and humanism, yeah. So we're going to talk about a different one today that is kind of the culmination of a lot of these. Maybe, maybe not feminism necessarily, but certainly of humanism moving into postmodernism, and then it kind of moves. So you get, if you get humanism, then you have to kind of follows that you have to get postmodernism, and then it follows that you have to get this one that we're going to talk about today, and that it, it kind of it just flows together. And um, how many have enjoyed this? Have you enjoyed this? Has it been over your head? Some of it? Some of it has been. Well, Dalton, that's because you're not in high school yet. You're, this is college prep, so you'll get there. You'll get there. Yeah, so you're coming into it, but you got a, you got a few years. But um, for those of you that are juniors and seniors in high school, you're going to be facing this incredibly, incredibly quickly, all of these different things. And so what I'm, what I'm going to talk about today is kind of the culmination of where this leads. Now, very few people uh, hold this viewpoint. Um, it's called nihilism. That's what we're talking about today, nihilism. And there's really no people that, that hold this view in their heart, really. But it is the logical conclusion of their thoughts, but they just cannot hold it together as a human being. Because the word nihilism, the word nihil, that first part before the ism, just simply means nothing. Nothing. So it is a belief in nothing. And that's really hard to hold as a human being, a belief in absolutely nothing. You don't believe in life. You don't believe in death. You don't believe in material. You don't believe in anything. You believe in nothing. Now, we've already heard about humanism where we believe in everything that humans can accomplish, and that leads to a postmodernist idea that there's really no thing that's absolute, so we kind of create our own meaning. And then we heard about feminism, where it the, basically the gender distinctions are broken down in feminism, and that leads to even the biology is not even a str- uh, point that we can grab onto. Biology becomes a nothing. And so what are we left with? If nothing is true, if nothing is um, steadfast, not even biology is steadfast, then the logical conclusion is that there is nothing left, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today, this belief in nothing, and we're going to talk about it in a couple of different ways. So we're going to try to equip you, I'm going to try to equip you today with a way to combat these ideas when you see them come up in school, and certainly as you go into college, you're going to see these kind of ideas come up, and you need to remember that they lead to this belief in nothing. And what is the danger when you believe in nothing? So um, did that pull up, Sister Hannah? Okay, no problem, but I've got a video that I want to show you today. It's a little bit longer video, about 15 minutes, um, but we're going to watch it, and this is a high school senior 
that he is, he, and what I like about him is that he is pretty honest because he's a high schooler. So he doesn't, I, I don't think he really understands the consequences of all that he believes. But he says, I'm an existential nihilist. And he tells us why that's a good thing. And so we're going we're gonna to watch his video. It's a TED Talk. It's in India at this international school. And so he's, he's Siddhartha Gupta. So he's an Indian high school student. And he's going to talk to us about why he is an existential nihilist. Big words, existential nihilist. And so then I, and I'm going to come back and we're going to have some comments and we're going to see where his thinking leads. So we're going to get a good definition of nihilism and existentialism. And we're going to see where this leads. And then we're going to bring it home to someplace good, I promise, so that you can take it and apply it to your life. Are we ready to go back there? All right, let's watch this video. I may pause it at different times. Let's make sure you can see it okay. Being a senior in high school, everyone seems to be at a crossroad in their life. Thinking about college, making career choices, and choosing your major accordingly. I feel all these pressures too, but I think of it as an opportunity to find meaning in all that I do because only then do I genuinely feel like doing something. Making such decisions are not only making me think about the meaning of it all, but it's also one of the biggest challenges that I have to face. For me, the biggest challenge in life is finding meaning in life itself. Now, this may seem like a highly philosophical or epistemological question, but I see it as one that is definitely worth asking. After all, if you can find inner meaning, you can then start to feel at peace with yourself. Um, at this point of time, I'm considering that how do I even go about such a task? So I'd like to call somebody up on stage to help me aid myself with this uh, process. So raise of hands if anybody would like to come up. Yes. <laughs> So to begin, um, the one thing that I asked myself is that essentially, can you definitely state the ultimate purpose of human life? <laughs> How about an easier question? Um, what do you think your purpose is? Okay, thank you. So as just seen and from the questions I've asked my peers, my teachers, my parents, and everyone around me included, I seem to have broadly categorized um, life into three, meaning of life into three overarching segments. First being monetary gain, because this is one of the most common answers that I get, that I want to get rich. And only then can I start finding happiness. Secondly, being subjective fulfillment. Take getting that dream three, girl, buying that house, getting life. the best grades, whatever it is might be to you. And lastly, being emotional stability. Like the individual just stated, ultimately we all okay, want to be Let's pause happy. it for just a moment and let's review his, his three so things that are what he says is the meaning of life, that people have. They hold three things as the meaning of life. Monetary gain, so basically being wealthy. The second one was your own subjective goals that you set for yourself, whatever that may be, if it's, an, if it's a personal kind of uh, like grades. He, he was saying he wanted to get really good grades 
or you want to achieve something. So some sort of achievement in your life, that, that could be your purpose. I, my purpose is to achieve something great. And then the last one was just having emotional stability or being just generally happy. So those were his three things that drive life. That's what he thinks. He, that's, what he th- he, that's all that he sees on the table of purpose. Those are the only three things. And that's, I think he's right. I think that's what the world sees. And when you get through all of these different isms, that's really all that's left, is you've got to choose one of those three topics by which to live by and to pursue and to find meaning in your life. Now, what he's going to do now is he's going to break each one of those down, and he's going to show why that does not give enough meaning to your life. All right, let's keep watching. Now, many of these questions might seem highly subjective, and I agree with that, but some of these answers don't quite gel with me. First, let's talk about money. Let's say that all of you, each one of you included, get to a point where you have all the money in the world that you can imagine. You can buy that Ferrari, that yacht, or whatever it is that you wish for. But then what? As seen in one of my favorite TV shows, Bojack Horseman, where the titular character has all the money he can think of, he is still miserable in his life. Not just TV shows, even mirrored in real life, where many celebrities have all the money they can think of, yet they resort to drugs because they just cannot seem to uh, wrap their mind around things. Because the question arises, what is the end to it all? What am I getting to? In my juvenile life, I've experienced both sides of the spectrum, financial hardship and financial stability. I can agree with the common belief that financial stability is a factor for an easygoing life. Yet, I've personally seen what money can do, especially to one of the strongest institutions in our world, being family. My family had to go through a financial crisis which not only affected them emotionally, but caused the deterioration of our extended family relations. A money-oriented mentality is one that is broadly focused on materialistic gain, rather than true meaning. Personally, I don't think money is the answer. Yet, like I said, you need it for an easygoing life. But I see it as not the end goal. Next, let's consider subjective fulfillment. Let's um, talk about getting into the best colleges, as I feel like many of you here can relate to that. Let's say that I apply to my college, hoping that my two years of hard work have paid off. The day arises, and I get my letter. Let's say for whatever reason, bad grades, or whatever it might be, I don't get accepted. Now, my subjective fulfillment, my goal, is not met. It's not satisfied, and therefore, I'm sad, I suffer. Now, let's look at the other side, that even if I get accepted, I set another subjective goal for myself and strive towards that. Get to that college, do the best there, get the best job, But then what next? I keep setting goals for myself again and again and again, and it just feels like an endless struggle leading to what? So even if not taken in a broader sense, I can only find that subjective fulfillment serves as a temporary distraction. At the start of this school year, I had lofty ambitions. Getting the best grades, do the best that I can, hoping to get into the best colleges. Some of these goals were met where I got into a position at the school where I could genuinely start helping people by becoming part of the student council. 
On a more personal front though, many of my goals, like doing the best I can in a certain class, were not quite met. Even just sitting in class, sometimes I think that, are these goals really what it's supposed to come down to? It serves as a temporary distraction for me until the next time I start thinking. I try to focus on whatever it is in front of me until this question comes back to bite me. And I don't quite to, I don't get to a definite end. It all seems futile if you start looking at the bigger picture. So go to college, get a good job, raise a family, support them, and then ultimately be happy. This is what we, this is what we all strive to go towards. But the reality of it is that life is a long, absurd journey that almost never goes the way you want it to. But, like many say, if you're happy, then none of this matters, right? The ultimate goal for many is happiness. Yet, by a show of hands, let's see how many of you can definitely say that you're absolutely content with where you are in your life. There are some hands, and I'm really happy about that, but for the others in the room, that feeling for me itself is rarely felt. So I would love being content, and right now I'd like to share a quote by Woody Allen, one of my favorite directors, who compares life to a subpar meal shared between a couple of old women. So one says, boy, the food at this place is terrible. And the other replies, I know, right? And such small portions too. Essentially, Alan claims that just like this meal, life can be short and terrible and miserable. And it's all over much too quickly. So I wonder, through all of this, whether there is a quintessential meaning to it all. Is there no purpose or meaning that is built into life? And what is the point in anything? Okay, let's pause it so for just a second. So this is the biggest confession that... So you can see he does an excellent job of preaching a sermon right there that, that I have preached, that if you put your trust in any of these things, I mean, he's very smart, and he breaks it down, and it's not going to last. It's not going to last. So money is not going to last. Your goals, whatever it may be, even if you reach the highest pinnacle of your goal, like let's like becoming famous or something, there's always going to be another goal because life is temporary so even you know even the best careers have to come to an end and then you need something else after that and then happiness is can be a decent goal except the reality is no one is happy their whole life nobody has favorable circumstances their whole life and so at some point you have to deal with life being unhappy so I think he does a great job of breaking this down and showing that 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 nihilism really is the only logical conclusion to living a life where those three things are your only goal. And what we've learned from this series is that those three things are really the only things that you can hang your hat on because of those are the things that are within human control. So this, this is getting back to those three things that he outlined that is what humanism is. Those are things that are in your control. You are trying to control the journey of your life. You are shaping your own destiny. And what he said was, is that you, you cannot control the outcome of your journey, which I agree with. And he's frustrated with that because he has been taught, no doubt, at a very progressive school 
that's preparing him for the top level universities that you have to control the outcome of your life because we as humans build a better life for ourselves and so you are in control of your own destiny and he is pretty smart and he said I can't even control my own life and that's left me with a feeling of nothingness and emptiness because I can't control it. I can't make enough money. I can't make good enough grades. I can't be talented enough. I cannot control my life to keep my life happy. Life is an absurd journey. It's just an absurdity. It's, it's a meaningless thing. But he already said at the beginning that the number one challenge for human beings is finding meaning in life. So here's where we've come now to this thing that you've got to be so careful with when you're engaging in college and these kind of high thinking ideas is that they cannot be lived. They, they're intellectually, you can, you can follow the track, but you cannot live it. That's what he said. I've got to have meaning in life. But then he follows the logical conclusion of his education and he says life has no meaning. Life is an absurd journey. So I've got to have meaning but there is no meaning. So now he's in a predicament. He is between a rock and a hard place. And this is where every young person, if you're honest and if you think about these things, if you follow that conclusion where you block God off from the equation and you just follow your own life and you're smart about it, you will come to this same point where you will realize that there is nothing, but yet you have to have something. That you can't live with nothing, but yet nothing is what you intellectually get if you're, if you're honest with yourself. So then wh where, where do we go from here? Let's see where he goes. That I have to make for this. That I am an existential nihilist. Someone who finds no meaning in existence or believes that there is no inherent or built-in meaning to the purpose of life. I feel like there is no existential purpose. If there is no meaning to anything that we do, you might ask me then why do anything? You might not agree with me and that's completely fine, but I think that there is something that we can all learn from this. So let's consider the indifference that the cosmos displays towards humanity. How in just a month or maybe even a few minutes, many of you might not even remember the contents of this talk. Hopefully though it leaves an impact on you though or how every hundred years or so, what you did or did not do is not gonna serve any ulterior purpose. All of this leaves me with lingering meaninglessness. So why go on? French philosopher Camus calls this feeling of meaninglessness the absurd, which refers to the absurdity of human life itself. Now, this can be thought of as a constant conflict between what we want meaning in the universe, happiness, or whatever it is that you want, versus what we actually find. Seemingly formless chaos, meaninglessness, and suffering. Now, many of you, even right now, must be thinking, what is this guy even talking about? And that such chain of thought is of no use. You will only end up to a radical decision like, per se, committing suicide. That is, if there is no point to anything, why not just end it? I often think this way too, which leaves me with a feeling of depression and dejection. So then, why do I even choose to go on? Yet, before okay, I answer this question, I, I think I'd like to circle back to Camus because he said that 
suicide is a logical conclusion of the world's philosophy. He did a very good job laying out the world's philosophy, and then he said very honestly, which is why I like this guy, because I think because he's young, he's not trying to cloak his language in anything. He's not a professor up there trying to get you to believe this. He's just telling you from his own experience that it leaves you with nothing left but suicide. That why not? Because it's literally meaningless. It's like a piece of paper. It's just you can throw it away. You can burn it. You can rip it. You can use it. You can write on it. Doesn't matter. It's a it's a meaningless object. And he said, that's basically what my life is. It's a meaningless thing. It's a nothing. It's just a blank object. Now, the danger here, and so what he says, and what we're going to see in just a minute, that he says in order to avoid this kind of like horrible suicidal depression, he just says, well, even suicide is meaningless, so then why do that either? So that's kind of how he talks himself out of suicide, is that that wouldn't create, that wouldn't help anything because that's meaningless too. But the danger of that is that all of a sudden, all human life is meaningless, So if your life is meaningless, then my life is meaningless. So if taking your life has no meaning, you're taking your own life has no meaning, then you taking my life also has no meaning. Now, that's not what we believe in Western civilization or really in any civilized country because if you take somebody's life, we say that has infinite meaning. And in fact, you should pay with your life because it has so much meaning. Because a human life has so much meaning that you're going to pay the ultimate price if you take a human life. But now if your life has no meaning and my life has no meaning, then you taking my life also has no meaning. And so then there's no basis for even murder. So you've got to follow this conclusion. You've got, to, you've got to follow these steps logically and see where they end. And I think he's doing a pretty good job. Okay, let's keep, let's keep watching. He seems to feel the same way that I do. We might never find the meaning that we want to find. Either we might discover a certain meaning that makes sense to us through a leap of faith by placing our hopes in a God beyond this world, or we might conclude that life is meaningless like myself. We might even try to constantly distract ourselves from this irritating question which seems to lead us to nowhere. And we might even succeed for some time until it comes back to us, leaving you at the start of this seemingly endless loop. Camus illustrates this struggle with the absurd through the microcosm of the myth of Sisyphus. So according to Greek myth, Sisyphus was punished for all eternity to roll a rock up a mountain, reach all the way to the top, then only have the boulder roll all the way to the bottom. Now, Camus claims that Sisyphus is the ideal absurd hero and that his punishment is representative of the human condition. Sisyphus must struggle perpetually without hope of success, which many of us might feel sometimes. So long as he accepts that there's nothing more to life than this absurd struggle, only then can he start to find happiness in it. So there is this constant struggle that we all go through, whatever it may be, your personal struggle, um, that many of us go through, and we will try finding an ulterior meaning in all that we do. Uh, so to say, an existential crisis. At one point, maybe not now, later you might think, what am I ultimately doing, any of what I'm doing for? Yet, I think that we need to stop that because there isn't really any. You need to break the illusion of purpose because only then can you continue to find your own.
this rebellion against absurdity of human life can serve as a constant reminder of the very beauty of it. So to answer the question that I raised earlier, why go on? I can say that even suicide itself is pointless. You will be succumbing to the pressures of the absurdity. Yet I say that facing this absurdity does not entail suicide, but on the contrary, allows us to live life to its fullest. Dwell in that meaninglessness so that you can start to find your own meaning. Explore anything that excites you. And worry not about whether or not you are fulfilling some set purpose, getting to that end goal or not. We all have a certain a priori knowledge within us, knowledge that is built, built into us all, like our instincts. Now, using this innate ability that we all possess, one becomes a catalyst for exploring their own meaning. Remember that you're not your car, you're not your bank balance or your grades because ultimately none of it is going to serve an existential purpose for life, so then why worry about it? Which is why once you become, become aware of the absurd, you can break free from whatever it is that's plaguing you at the moment. Free yourself, revolt, and be passionate about whatever it is that you wish to do. Now this Stop it there. opens We're doors. Gonna, that's basically his whole argument. And you can, if you want to Google this later, you can finish the video. But um, I wanted to point out a couple more things, and then we're gonna we're gonna get to our conclusion and uh, dismiss here. But um, notice that he goes right back. So he he's talked about how your own meaning is per, is is pointless. You can't find it. But then at the end, he says you've got to find your own meaning. So it's this classic circle talk. It's just one giant circle. The life is meaningless. You can find no meaning. So what you need to do is find your own meaning. That's what he said. It's, you, need to find your, you need to break free of this absurdity and find your own meaning, which is what existentialism is. It means find your own meaning apart from any truth. But he said that's impossible to do, so do it. Yeah, it makes, it's a head-scratcher, right? And that is, that is when, when, when we say, now, nihilism is in the Bible. The book of Ecclesiastes is a nihilistic book written by Solomon who explored every alternative to living for God that you could find. He had the, the money. He had the wisdom. He had the smarts. He had the looks. He had everything that this world says you need to have to be successful. So he said, I'm going to try out every worldview. I'm going to live it out. I'm going, if, if it makes me happy, I'm going to do it. I'm going to rebel against the, the constructs of meaning, and I'm going to pursue whatever makes me happy or what I'm passionate about in the moment. He had the ability to do that. You and I don't have the ability to do that because we have jobs or school or limited resources. All of us in here have one of those things, limited resources, not, not the ability to just pursue anything that we want to do. But then there's laws that inhibit us from doing certain things. But Solomon was the king. He could write the law. He had infinite money. If you read the, the, the account of his, his wealth, he had infinite, literally infinite for that day, infinite amounts of money, power, and prestige. And so he pursued with his whole heart everything that made him happy, or what he thought made him happy. And he came to the conclusion at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. He says it throughout the book, but at the end, 
Chapter 12, verse number 8. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Vanity is just nothing. It's just this, you know, to be vain is to care about things that don't last. So it's a vanity. It's, it's a nothingness. So he became a nihilist by living by the world standard, by living by what he thought was good or right apart from God. He had to be, because he was the wisest man on earth given by God, he had to come to the very same conclusion that this young man came to was that nothing is important. Nothing has meaning and nothing has purpose. If you live, if you persist to live by the world's standards. Now, what I want, what I want to you to see is the agreement between high thinking, like in a university with all these isms, and just the, the common base message of culture and media. They agree. They just one dresses it up and one just kind of shows it for what it is. But they both agree. They both agree because if you just start following the logical conclusion of all of this thinking and all of this stuff that you're taught, that you're going to be taught at a university and it's pushed on you by this world, then you're going to come to the same conclusion that Solomon did because he's already done this experiment. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I pursued everything. He had over like a thousand wives. He just basically collected women like they were objects. He lived a life that was completely apart from God, but he had the wisdom that God had given him. Which is so baffling to me, is that he was the wisest man on earth, but yet he walked away from the only thing that would keep him. It's to show you how powerful the lies of the world are. That if you get caught up in just pursuing what you think is going to make yourself happy, let me just tell you the end of that story. You will one day wake up to realize that it is meaningless that your life is meaningless, that the things that you pursued and the throwing caution to the wind and doing what feels good in the moment is meaningless. Because what is interesting is that the things that that young man on the video tore down were the things of kind of marked success in society. Getting good grades, making money. That means you've got a good job, being a doctor, being a lawyer, whatever. That, those are marks of success. But ultimately, they're not that fulfilling. So he says, just throw that all away. So what are you, what are you going to get in society? You're going to get chaos. You're going to get a bunch of drug addicts, a bunch of porn addicts. You're going to get a bunch of people that are abusing one another because your life's meaningless. So if you can serve me a purpose, then I'm going to throw you away like a piece of trash that you are because we're all just pieces of trash floating around. That's a very scary worldview, but that's what the world lives in. You can see that through the news. That's how people treat one another. That's why there's so much abuse and so much violence in our world today because that's people are living this out that's being taught in a university, that's being taught all dressed up as this kind of push away from everything. And you notice how he did mention religion and he did mention God, but he mentioned it in a way that was just a passing moment. And it wasn't at the beginning when it's a possible meaning to your life. It was just as a side note, and he called it the leap of faith. Meaning that you just kind of have to uh, take that leap of faith where you don't really know, but you're just going to believe it so that you can feel better. And I'm telling you, you're going to feel this pressure. If you go to a secular university, you're going to feel that pressure because they're going to tell you we, uh, those who believe and know God, are the only ones that are brave enough to face life at the absurdity that it is. Now, I was told this literally to my face, Jared, you're just not brave enough to face life without God. And we're the only ones that are out here on the edge, kind of we're brave and we've, we've got this brand new world. 
And you know what? I, I can look at them and say, you know what? You're correct. I'm not brave enough to live in a world where Hitler could be justified because the six million people that he killed, their life had no meaning. And Hitler pushed back the absurdity of life and just lived whatever he was passionate about, which was killing Jews. So more power to him. You understand, you see that, that then, and ultimately he committed suicide, which is just followed on his nihilistic viewpoint of just destruction because it doesn't matter. You understand what I'm saying? That any evil that you see in the world could be justified by this belief that vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Because if there is no good, then there is no evil. And then you can't, there's no justice because nothing that anybody does is evil. So yeah, I'm too afraid to live in that kind of world. I'm too afraid to let my daughter grow up in that kind of world. Yes, I am afraid, but the difference is, is that I don't have to take a leap of faith. And this is where you're going to be grounded. If you want to live for God and you want to go to, to college and you want to be successful, but you want to keep your faith and, but you don't want to face down this darkness of complete meaninglessness is this is where your faith, your belief in God has to be more than a leap. It has to be more than a just kind of, I'm going to believe in this because I live in Arkansas and everybody believes in God and because we just kind of have to have believe in God and we just have to have this kind of like God complex up here and I'm just going to believe in it. That's not going to last because you're going to be ridiculed for that belief. You're going to be put down for that belief. You're going to be told that you're weak-minded and that you're not logical and that you're not smart and that you're just not following the evidence. But you see, the thing as a Christian and as an apostolic that you can look back with confidence and tell someone is that I'm not taking a leap of faith because my faith has been confirmed to me because I have received the power of the Holy Ghost. This is why it is so central to your life to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. It's not just something that is this kind of weird experience that you just kind of have to do to get to heaven. It is the missing piece of the puzzle in your life. And without the power of the Holy Ghost, you're going to be just like this young man who's very honest and say, you know what, all this faith that I've heard of is just a leap of faith. And he's growing up in a very superstitious culture filled with all kinds of uh, worship of cows and sitting in the street for days without going to the restroom and just uh, kind of trying to find some type of nirvana or some type of other uh, particle that would make you have any meaning. And so, of course, he's going to reject that because his faith is empty, because it is a leap of faith to find some pointless, stupid meaning just to make yourself feel better. And if your Christianity is pointless and meaningless to you, you will end up at this conclusion where he said you can either take that leap of faith or you can just distract yourself. Or you can just come to that place where nothing has any meaning. And so then you throw off all constraint and you just do whatever you want to do. And so you turn into this kind of just dumb, broken down piece of what used to be a human. And we see that so often in our day that people addicted to drugs and just their mind has been warped by literally chemicals that they pumped into their body because life is meaningless and their bodies are meaningless and they have nothing left to give. And they devolve, they devolve into all this kind of perversion and darkness and gross things. Why? Because vanity of vanities, it's all vanity, so I might as well do what I want right now. But I am too afraid to live in that kind of world and you should be to so you there is an other option because your life will descend into that kind of crisis of meaning without the power of the holy ghost without your faith becoming real to you without a moment with god 
That's why we taught you all these things. Is because they can, they can, be, they can lure you in. I, I've been there. I've been lured in by these kind of humanism, postmodernism, and I've come to that kind of nihilistic point in my life before. Because you start thinking, is everything that I've been taught a lie? Because they're going to get you in there and they're going to begin to tear down everything that you believe. And they're going to say, you know what, you're not, you're not really living for God. You're just living by this ancient mythology that's been pushed on you because you, yeah, you're from the Bible Belt. And your parents raised you in church and they brainwashed you. Or they, you, you got in church too young and you didn't really have time to formulate your own ideas. And you just begin to think, is everything that I've ever believed a lie? And then when you get to that place, it's a scary place because if everything you've ever believed is a lie, then you're left with nothing. Now, they won't say that. They won't say we're going to leave you with nothing and hopelessness where even suicide doesn't have any meaning. But that's what they're going to do. That's what the philosophy of this world, because the enemy came not but to kill, steal, and to destroy. And the enemy doesn't come very often in form of demonic possession, but it comes in lies packaged in nice things. And whether you go to college and hear the nice intellectual side of it or not, or whether you just watch the movies or watch uh, the Netflix shows and that they breed this kind of nihilistic idea throughout all of your life and to where you are all of a sudden questioning everything. Why can't I do this? Why can't I dabble in this drug? Or why can't I partake in this alternative lifestyle? Why not? Why not? I'm just going to throw off this absurd journey and just live as according to I want to live. But if you get in contact with the power of the Holy Ghost, it is the mystery peace in your life because then your life becomes yes it is a journey you're never at home you're never just going to be in a place where nothing changes but it's a journey to a purpose what he said nihilism was like it was like the man rolling up the boulder up the mountain and almost reaching his goal but then losing it and it falling back down and being cursed to try it again knowing that it will not work so yes life can be an absurd journey without God but when God puts that missing piece in your life when the power of the Holy Ghost and your calling and your purpose is fit into your heart, then the life of and your journey where it has ups and it has downs, it has good times and it has bad times, but it has a purpose because God is using you. And then he said, what I do in a hundred years will not matter. Absolutely false if you live for God. Because what you do and the people that you reach and the things that you accomplish for God last into eternity. So it answers that question. Will my life matter in a thousand years? Absolutely. Did the Apostle Paul's life matter? Absolutely. Did a Christian, or there are so many unnamed people in the Bible, did their life matter? Yes. Because we're still engaged in the faith that they push forward. We're still engaged in the life that they live. Because your life can have purpose and meaning when you put it in the hands of God. But it's got to become real to you. It's got to be real to your life. It cannot be just something that you do out of your culture. I say this over and over again. And it's not just me saying it. It is an urgency because you see the end of it if it does not become real to you. If this thing does not become alive to your life, where else are you going to go? Ask yourself that question. If this thing, if Christianity, if living for God does not become real to you, where else are you going to go? What else are you going to put your stock in? Good luck with that. Because you're not smarter than this guy. This guy's probably going to go to Harvard. 
You're not smarter than him. You're not more talented than him. You don't have better grades than he does. You don't have more success than he does. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? To nothing. To nothing. So my challenge to you at the end of this series is before you get to college, before you get out from the protection of this youth group, the protection of your parents' home, the protection of this church, you better make sure that your faith is more than a leap, that it becomes real, that you develop a real relationship with God, that you get filled with the real power of the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you need to earnestly seek the power of the Holy Ghost. If you've been told that you got the Holy Ghost and you're not sure, then you need to Ask God to really fill you with the power of the Holy Ghost. Or if it's been a while since you have prayed through what we like to call prayed through, where God touches you afresh, you need to make sure that that happens. You need to earnestly desire it and seek it so that your faith can be real to you. So that you can walk this life, this journey with purpose, which is what he said at the beginning is the number one question of all humanity. What is the meaning to my life? You could have good goals. You could have goals to be wealthy. You could have goals to have success. You could have goals to raise a good family. You could have goals to own a home, have nice things. Those aren't necessarily bad. Like he said, they're just empty. I want you to bow your head. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I want to pray for you at the conclusion of this series. God, we love you. And Lord, we're thankful for the teaching that we've heard throughout this series. We're thankful, Lord God, that you offer us hope, that you offer us meaning, and that you offer us purpose in our life. God, we're so thankful for that. And Lord, I pray right now for these young people because no doubt there are some young people here that don't really know if they take you seriously. They don't really know, God, if this is where they want to live their whole life, if they want to really give their life to you. And God, I know, Lord, that you are standing with open arms with a desire for all of us to have a better, closer relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every one of these young people, God, in the challenges that they're facing and the hardships of their life, that they would turn it over to you. Lord, that they would allow you to become real to them. God, that you would fill them with the power of the Holy Ghost, that you would touch their life, that you would open up their eyes to see that you are real, that you have all power, that you created them, that you are their heavenly Father, and that you have a plan, a purpose, a destiny for them. And I pray that they would find it and that they would fulfill it and not be left to the emptiness of this world. I pray, God, that you would protect their minds, that you would protect their hearts, that you would help them to be witnesses, to be lights, to be salt in this community and in their homes and in their families. I pray that you would anoint them and that you would touch them and that you would use us as a youth group to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray and give you praise. This has been an episode of Axiom Youth Student Ministries. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Thank you for tuning in.